Welcome back to Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks, we take a look at a batch of comics, then we watch the related MCU movie or TV show, then after we're done, we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer the most important of questions, who told the tale best? The books? For the screen adaptation. My name is Dwayne, as always, and my good buddy Dan is here as well. Hello, Dan. Good to see you. Greetings from the frozen north, everyone. So we have <laughs> we have fully made winter in the last couple of weeks. So Dwayne, Dwayne, this is about the time of year Dwayne becomes insufferable as he sits down there in lovely Phoenix and uh, does not have to deal with the snow that I have to deal with anymore. So. insufferable really okay i okay. think so i think okay. everybody who doesn't have to deal with snow is insufferable when uh when i'm having to deal with this crap so sure uh so basically what uh what we're going to be doing this week is we are starting off with phase two the avengers are behind us and we're going to dive into this second phase of the mcu which has kicked off just like the first one was with an iron man movie Iron Man 3 actually sees our hero facing off against a shadowy adversary called the Mandarin while trying to protect the president and defend against superpowered adversaries created by the extremist serum. So, lots of stuff to do. Yes, we had we had some really good comic books this week and so I am excited to talk to you about those, but we've got some comic book news that we're going to talk about here real quick first. And the first item is Shazam! Fury of the Gods cast to write a tie-in comic for DC. So this was announced on Friday. There is a 96-page feature called Shazamly Matters. Like Family Matters with Shazam in it. Number one. And it's actually going to be written by actors who are in the movie so actor zachary levi takes the reins of writing shazam and adam brody ross butler dj cortana grace caroline curry and faith herman wield the mighty pen for their shazamly superheroes says battling zombies befriending dinosaurs trying to get a phone signal in a world of barbarians explore glitterland and more just in time for the release of the brand new feature film Shazam Fury of the Gods, made with all the love and fun of a superhuman family cookout. So this this seems really kind of interesting and weird at the same time. Dan, has there been stuff like this before where they've actually gotten like oh, yeah. feedback or or like writer, you know, had uh actors and actresses write up writing about their character in comic books yeah this has happened every once in a while i can't remember exactly the last time we've seen it but there are a number of times where they've had sort of these uh folks who who have crossed over back into the uh the comics world usually it's done kind of in a ghostwriting kind of capacity or something like that sure Uh, Hopefully it's something like this, 
because I can't imagine a worse way to write a comic book than taking like seven or eight people who've never <laughs> written a comic book yeah. and then just throwing them all together to do it. It sounds like it's going to be a complete just just zoo. But yeah. nonetheless, uh, this actually does, again, it, it pour, pour, kind of bodes well, though, just because they really do seem to be having fun with this. And they're mm-hmm. having fun with trying to make it seem like this is a family-friendly kind of show and the like. I've, I'm thinking, more I look at it, that Shazam, even though they, they bounced it off the schedule for Black Adam, I'm more and more wondering if Shazam doesn't actually look like it might make more money than Black Adam when it actually comes out. That that actually would not to survive. To, that wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me, actually. And... Uh... I know the first movie did really well, and so I think that there's good, de- definitely going to be some expectation coming into this into into this film, and it'll be really interesting to see how how it uh, how it plays out. Uh, this is going to be available February twenty eighth, twenty twenty three, so right before the early March date of the movie. So if you're that sounds like something you're interested in, that is definitely something that you can look forward to. Uh, coming out early next year. And as a note, by the way, if everyone can just never use the word Shazamily again, I would appreciate it personally. <laughs> I had a hard is, enough time saying it, much less, that yeah. Is, that is, so the other story that we have is actually uh, one that I think is a little interesting because it is the return of Doctor Strange to the comics. It uh, starts this week. Uh, from the mind of Trad Moore, Doctor Strange awakens alone in a distant world, not his own. The book synopsis reads, lost of purpose and surrounded by danger, the wandering sorcerer must explore this land of blades and mystery to unravel arcane secrets and escape the deadly horrors that lie in wait. From the fantastical mind of creator Trad Moore, Silver Surfer Black uh, was something he did. Comes a strange story like you've never seen before. And, and, and that's actually what really caught my eye on this. In this article, you can actually see the cover as well as the first couple pages of the comic. And it is some of the most interesting artwork I've seen in a book a, probably almost ever and I know I don't have a real long track record when it comes to reading comics and stuff, but this has this real psychedelic sort of look to it. And it, it feels a little seventies ish when it comes to like, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at the like animation and some of that stuff that was done in the seventies and that it just looks really, really like uh very trippy, I guess would be the other word I would use to describe trippy. it. Is, is a good word. It it does actually resemble in some ways some of the, the Ditko stuff from the Doctor Strange books back in the day. Um, okay. And then also it does have almost it looks like kind of a Japanese-influenced kind of look to it. But it is not really like particularly any artwork I've ever seen before. I, I, yeah. I didn't read the other Tradmore stuff. This is a very, a very interesting art style. Uh, it's also... In some ways, I'm kind of a little surprised because our man Jed McKay, who we've been reading for the last couple of years on uh, on Moon Knight and enjoying, 
actually was the one who's been sort of shepherding the Doctor Strange books, as well as doing Moon Knight. So a lot of the, the current Strange series where Klee has taken over has been written by him. So I would have thought he'd be the one to bring Strange back as well. But evidently not. He's off doing other things now. So uh, this this is interesting, though. I've always liked Doctor Strange, and they've done some cool stuff with him. And, and I don't know if you've been reading any of the Strange stuff on Unlimited, but he's been very busy for a dead guy over the last <laughs> few months. So I, I, I've not read a ton, but I, I've seen I've seen a few things. And yeah, it just this between that and then just like his kind of return here and and just the look of this comic book i definitely wanted to call it out so highly recommend taking a look at 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 the articles so you can see some of the pictures and if this interests you this is available this wednesday the november 23rd so right before thanksgiving at uh at your local comic book store All right, Dan, we've got through our news, so let's let's talk about what's in the stack this week. The stack this week is going to be pretty straightforward in terms of being actually directed at two concepts that become important during Iron Man 3. We're going to talk a little bit about the Mandarin, looking at his very first appearance, and then looking at a story that sort of updates and sort of and rethinks that first appearance and then tells some of the origin of the Mandarin. And then and then one origin of the Mandarin, I should probably sure. re-specify. And then we're gonna look at Invincible Iron Man number one through six from 2004, which was the extremist storyline that sort of kicked off uh, a lot of changes for Iron Man and is an important plot point within Iron Man 3 as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh I it's been a while since I've seen the movie. So I it was it was great that I could uh read these comics ahead of our movie review and and, and so I can compare. But let's let's first before we actually dive into the specifics of the, of these comic books, who is our creator profile for this week? First, the creator profile. First, I want to talk about a little bit is a guy named Don Heck. Don Heck actually is one of the, the grand old masters of comic books. He was the first artist on Iron Man. Uh, he also was a co-creator of the Wasp, of Wasp and of Hawkeye, as well as a number of other characters at Marvel. His career started actually a lot earlier than that, though. And he, in the early 50s, did a lot of art for... Uh, sort of like Harvey, Quality, Atlas, a lot of these other publishers. His art style back then was amazing. It was this crisp, kind of moody, very, very clear and clean lines. And he did a lot of stuff on some of the horror and suspense type of titles that were the yeah. sorts of things that got comic books in trouble with Congress a few <laughs> years later. Okay. Right? But... Some of his old art was really amazing. He also, unfortunately, at least in my opinion, uh, is the person who made the weirdest and most disturbing illustration in a comic book during my childhood. <laughs> oh, so, really? Okay. I, I remember Don Heck because 
He had hand problems actually as he aged, and so his art by the 80s was not nearly as impressive as it was earlier. Okay. And for the most part, his books from that time actually don't look anything like his earlier. They're relatively forgettable. But he still had some of that old flair for the macabre that made him really popular back in the day. And there's an image of Batman turned into a monster from Justice League number 202, which came out in 1982 when I was 13 years old. That is one of the freakiest things I've ever seen, and it still haunts me to this day. So there you go. So I'm going to find that. Yeah, I need to. I need to see this. I need to see this. This this sounds interesting. I looked for it just out on uh, out on the web and could not find it. So I'm going to have to actually go and dig out in my in my boxes and take a picture of it and post it sometime uh, before this episode goes live. So 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 you have you have the book still and and. so, so, so you know it's you know where it's safely tucked away in a in a log box somewhere. It is it is alphabetized under the J's directly before Justice League two hundred three and after Justice League two hundred one. There you where go. Be. So, okay. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. But but so that's uh that's the creator profile. Sometimes there's people who you don't maybe remember a lot of their art. But there's certain things, certain pages, certain mm-hmm. stories that just really resonate. And for me, Don Heck will always be a freaky Batman drawing. So, <laughs> yes. No, that's that is great. I I look forward to seeing this picture. So, all right. So let's let's jump in, jump in and let's talk about this week's books. All right. Sounds good. We talked about these are intended to give you guys. Uh, a little bit of background on two major elements from Iron Man 3. So if you're going back and watching Iron Man 3, two of the things that they feature there are the Mandarin, and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of twists and turns in the movie we'll talk about next week as far as the Mandarin. But just to give you some idea of what those of us who are comic fans were expecting when we went into Iron Man 3, knowing the Mandarin was going to be in yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to read some comics to see what you know, what that might have been about. And then we're going to talk a bit about extremists. Both of these are very heavily modified in the film in the ways that they're used, but they're still recognizable, at least in some ways, as being from the comics, or they're riffing off of the comics Yeah. Uh, right up until we get some some twists. Yeah. So. I, I I do remember the, the... After reading these books, I'm like... Wow, this is not the Mandarin I remember from the movie. So, uh, no. yes. So, so let's no, jump in. Not. Let's talk. Let's talk about the Mandarin and and actually his his first appearance, which was actually kind of heavily sort of like, oh my god, check out this really cool villain. You're not gonna believe it. In the Tales of Suspense number fifty, which is from all the way back in 1964. Correct. So, so Tales of Suspense, by the way, is a comic book that it it preceded Iron Man in terms of Iron Man number one is not the first appearance of Iron Man. Tales of Suspense number thirty nine is the first appearance of Iron Man, and so over the over the next few issues, he became a regular feature in Tales of Suspense. And took up about half of the book, or one of the stories in the book. But he was usually a 
a cover character. And the same situation here. So this is right around probably the 12th appearance of Iron Man. And it's the first appearance of someone who would go on to be one of his biggest villains. And that is the Mandarin. So this is from February 1964. It's written by Stan Lee, drawn by Don Heck, and had Ray Holloway on letters. They did not credit the colorists at this time, so we don't particularly know who was coloring. The start of this story has the U.S. military going to Tony Stark and asking him if he can infiltrate Communist China, or have Iron Man infiltrate Communist China, in order to find out more about the mysterious Mandarin that they've been hearing about. Turns out the Mandarin is not affiliated with the Communist Party in China, and he's rumored to be centuries old and extremely powerful. He works only for himself, and it turns out he has these plans of world domination that he's in the middle of sort of putting into motion. Iron Man agrees to do this, having to miss a company party in the process, getting some of his employees really angry at him, and giving Happy Hogan a chance to maybe impress Pepper Potts by being the one who gets to escort her to the party instead. So he goes to China, immediately starts beating people up. So he's, he's supposed to be on this secret mission uh, to just sort of find things out. Suddenly, he's attacking people and, and knocking them out in China. Um, flies towards the Mandarin's castle. The Mandarin traps him. He ends up in this sort of, uh, you know, death box type of thing, yeah. almost like the trash compactor in Star Wars. Right. Plates his way right. out through the window. Uh, the Mandarin then is able to show off all of his ring-based powers sort of one at a time while they fight. He's got an electric ring, and he's got this sort of power ring. And... Yeah, he has the paralysis ring or something like that, you know, too, that that kind of stuns uh, Iron yep. Man for a bit. Yep, and then after he's done all of that, he says, but I'm not just about ring power. I'm also a master of karate. And so he starts to, you know, do all of these these karate moves. Interesting point. Karate is not actually a Chinese martial art. It's a Japanese <laughs> no. martial art, which, which is something they fixed later, but which is just yeah. a good indication of exactly how much research Stan Lee was doing into <laughs> other cultures before he made some of these, right? So sure. uh, Iron Man is being beaten up pretty badly by all of this martial arts stuff, but he determines that he can use his arms, his armor's wrist calculator to figure out the exact angle of attack that he needs to move his armor so that when the Mandarin does a chop at him, it will actually somehow bounce off or cause him enough damage that it incapacitates him. And yep. it works. He gets the math right yep. <laughs> and Mandarin just falls over from his own punch. Uh-huh. And so... If that sounds if that sounds ridiculous, it's because it is kind of ridiculous. It is, it is ridiculous, but it's awesome. In the, again, Tony Stark's this guy who's you know the scientist, and so he actually maths out the solution to defeating the bad guy, and makes sure all the kids know that you know there's there is a reason why you do your algebra. You may right. not think about it, but uh, it matters. Then he slips back out, heads back to the United States just in time to get there uh, for the big party and uh, disappointing Happy Hogan and, and of course, making Pepper happy that, uh, that he's there in time. So that's quite the story. 
Yeah. And and it's only half the book, too. There there's another completely separate story with uh uh with another another I think two. Yeah. Two of them. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. I the there there was literally this notice of like you can't put this down once you start reading. You need to see who the Mandarin is and what he's capable of at the beginning of this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going through this, and then all of a sudden it's over. And you're like, okay. All right, that wasn't that, that wasn't so bad, but I it was kind of corny, but at the same time, I guess it wasn't too bad. There, there definitely felt very stereotypical and oh, yeah, and absolutely. very not so. Um, they they don't treat the Chinese people very well, and they definitely don't treat Pepper Potts very well in this book. Uh, so. Those were the things that jumped out to me. You're saying that it's, it's slightly too extremely sexist and or racist in its portrayal. Yes, of yes, things. yes. Yeah, I would, that's... I would grant that, and I think that that's the reason why a lot of these old comics don't stand up very well in terms of actually giving them to people, you know, to read. You're not going to give someone who's interested in getting into comics a copy of a Marvel book from the '60s, right? Right. And that's also why Marvel's had to go back through and and sort of retcon a lot of their origin stories and things like that, so that they've got essentially stories that they can show people, maybe, that aren't quite as... uh... That said, I will note that considering some of the portrayals that were going on at the time, right? Sure. Uh, my, My daughter and I watched Breakfast at Tiffany's a while ago. And there's a portrayal by Mickey Rooney of a Chinese landlord in that that is one Gosh. of the most offensive things you'd ever see. And so compared to a lot of other stuff going on in the culture, they didn't use any sort of, of weird linguistic sort of tricks or anything like that. Yeah. Everybody just talked normal. And the Chinese did have their own way of thinking about the American foibles. So even as America is looking at the Chinese suspiciously, the Chinese are like, ah, stupid capitalists. You know, they they can't get anything right type of thing. So mm-hmm. it really does kind of at least have a little bit of of showing both sides of what's going on. It's it's not as bad as I expected it to be, even though it's still terrible. Yeah. I somehow expected worse. And and yeah, we, we have we this. have seen some stuff that I actually think was worse than this. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that that said, the actual portrayal of the Mandarin himself is an egregious stereotype, and is you know that had to go, and they had to to retcon it a little bit. And it's interesting because every few years they have to retcon it again to make it a little more uh, mainstream, to make it more acceptable. Because right. even the one that we're reading from 2000, whatever, the second one, uh, has been changed again after that. So, And then Pepper Potts, yeah. What, what is interesting, though, is Pepper is a love interest for Tony, which she wasn't for a long time. Like if, you know, you remember reading the books from the 70s, she was nowhere to be found. Right. We had Mrs. We had Mrs. Arbogast who'd come in instead. And Pepper Potts was just gone. She had actually um, kind of moved off, and her and Happy actually were a couple instead for a long time. So she she gave up on them, as opposed to in 
the movies, of course, where she is the the primary love interest all along. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's Tales of Suspense number 50. Really put it in there mostly just so that you could get that idea of, here's where he started. He was right. a very early villain, and he's someone who sort of had a lot of the... He, he was somebody who was smart enough and had resources enough to be a foil for Tony Stark across the ocean. So like an international enemy for him. Yeah. I I will say he does like, if you look at, if you think about just what the character, the potential of the character, right? The potential of this character is, yeah, this really very, very powerful threat to Iron Man, to the United States, all this, you could, you could definitely see what they were kind of trying to go for with this, even even if the execution of this in the in, in its in its first uh, incarnation is is not quite there. I mean, the I'm sorry, the the like math calculation thing to to end the fight was just was just a little too a little ridiculous. Dumb. Yeah, but so. yeah, I I also think it's interesting that the Mandarin is not beholden to and does not does not necessarily want to play nice with the Chinese government in much the same way that Iron Man does not necessarily always play well with the American government. Right. That they are both sort of this powerful force that's just sort of doing their own thing and maybe if it suits them they will do something to help their government but they're just as likely to just cause trouble by wandering into places they shouldn't or the like. So. Yeah. Let's 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 jump forward to Iron Man Enter the Mandarin because this was kind of a retelling a little bit and there is there there's while there wasn't I don't think a lot of meat in that very first appearance there is a lot to dig in in, in the in this in this limited series. So I've got a quick overview for people out in uh, podcast land, and then we'll, we'll get into talking about it. So this series actually starts with a new origin for the Mandarin, uh, where he actually is said to have found an alien craft and used it to gain the powers of the Ten Rings from that. So the rings are alien-slash-magic in nature, essentially. Uh, we then shift over to Tony Stark's office, where S.H.I.E.L.D. is asking to investigate the mysterious Mandarin, Almost exactly the same way yeah. that they did back in the day. Uh, we then, like in Tales of Suspense number 50, we get a scene of the Mandarin defying the Chinese government's demand for existence or for assistance. And then Iron Man arrives again in kind of like a government transport. Uh, and he and the Mandarin end up fighting. Stark ends up getting injured this time, but escapes by sort of blowing up a good part of the palace and just rocketing off into the air. The Mandarin then decides to investigate Tony Stark because he's Iron Man's employer and the one he thinks is probably the actual one behind the incursion, and his spies end up stealing Stark intel. Mandarin then steals Western weapons and uses some of that stolen Stark information to grab a satellite that Stark helped to design as well. He then goes to a monastery and finds his son Temujin and enlists him as an unwilling spy and assassin by sort of hypnotizing him 
yeah. to, to do his bidding. Yeah, he uh, takes away his he takes away his free will with like one of the rings and basically says, "You're going to go to the U.S. You're going to infiltrate, and you're going to kill Tony Stark." He is not getting a Father of the Year mug. <laughs> no, he's not. So, um, but so Timugan Gills goes there. He fails to kill Stark, but he comes close. He actually shoots him in the chest, and then sees the Iron Man breastplate and goes, hey, uh, when he returns to the Mandarin, though, after escaping, his father's so angry that he didn't kill Tony Stark that he erases Timugun's memory uh, and sends him back to the monastery before he can reveal the secret of Stark's uh, or Iron Man's identity. So, Stark then returns to the Mandarin castle as himself for reasons I still don't necessarily understand. He ends up getting taken prisoner He's sentenced to death, escapes just as someone's about to take take his head off with an axe, gets back his armor, and then has a rematch with the Mandarin, where he ends up pulling down his throne room after getting tied up, kind of like Samson style. The Mandarin then gets angry about Iron Man continuing to cause him trouble, decides to crash the satellite into Beijing of all places, and Iron Man has to then leave the battle to intercept that satellite, save a bunch of people. When he returns back to Mandarin's lair, he is gone, everything's gone. Mm-hmm. And we see that he's he's fled to start over somewhere else and fight another day. Yeah. So, there we go. <laughs> this, this is a very, very interesting story. And, and it, like, starting with, like, the Mandarin origins reimagining of the origin story a little bit. The the fact that he, they, they said he was a descendant of Genghis Khan in this mm-hmm. and that, you know, he went into this like Valley of spirits and into this cave. And that that's where these, this, these alien aliens were that he ended up getting, getting the 10 mm-hmm. rings from this was, this was, I, I didn't exactly get, how that whole kind of worked because that actually was like two pages and then it was just sort of done. And, and and like, so it was like, so were they given to him? Did he like conquer the, the alien race and then take them or, or what happened here? I wasn't entirely sure. The ship crashed and all of the aliens on it died and their technology was there so he found ah, it okay okay and then and then took the technology and worked it into the rings and and or or he found a way to imbue them with it the reason yeah. it's interesting is when he actually talks about it even though it's alien technology he calls it magic yeah that essentially it's that whole any technology that's sufficiently advanced appears to be magic yeah so he talks about and and usually it's considered to be that the Mandarin and Iron Man are kind of this classic battle of magic against science. Sure, sure, sure. Even though they're both science, it's just one of them is alien science. Yeah. Okay. That that makes a little bit more sense. And and you still got that same sort of like he wants to take over the world, wants to control everything rule the world in his image just like just like kind of that initial that 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 uh book from back in the 60s so and and like you said there were some parallels there 
uh, that it felt like, oh, hey, they kind of pulled that sort of st- that part of the story over. Mm-hmm. And it makes a lot of sense. I think the thing that actually kind of surprised me most was when he went to Tibet and and the monastery and 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 like basically, you know, hey, I have a son. I'm going to take away his free will and ask him to become a spy and assassin. And the and the crazy thing is, so he does this with the with the ring, and then like mm-hmm. the 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 son is like you know, you're seeing thought bubbles and, and different things. And he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do any of this. This doesn't, this isn't right. And, and so he's like trying to fight against it, but he, but, but he has no free will. And so he just keeps going, keeps going. And Mm -hmm. and the most interesting thing I think is, is when he fails and returns, like he knows that he could give the Mandarin this big advantage by telling him that Tony Stark is Iron Man. And he like, but then, but then he knows the the Mandarin says, Oh, I'm going to wipe your memory. And he's like, well, I could say something here, but I'm not going to, because you took away my free will and made me do this. And I didn't want to do this. And so he ends up just kind of holding that information. I didn't get that. but That's kind of cool. That's interesting. Yeah. There, there, there. It was just like two or three panels, right, right after, right before the, uh, you know, when he talks about uh, his son failing him and all this. He, he, there's. It might have even been one panel where he's like, "I could give, I could give him this, this information, and it would be a huge thing, but I'm not going to." And, and then he gets his mind erased. There you go. All righty. That's very interesting. So yeah, so so overall, I think this was really kind of a a very similar story fleshed out instead of like 15 pages, it's six issues, but mm-hmm. it's also in that more expanded storytelling style of the modern age where they packed a lot of story into a book back in the 60s and now your storytelling's a lot more decompressed. Yeah, you got it but, breathed it got to breathe a little know, bit. But you know it's six issues versus a few fifteen pages, so yeah. there's there's more there in terms of additional characters, additional story. But it's kind of the same thing, you know. Tony Stark goes over, starts nose around in the Mandarin's business. Mandarin gets grumpy about it. They fight a couple of times, and eventually, uh, Stark ends up heading home after causing trouble. So, what did what did you think of the fact that? Iron Man did not did not fare well in these battles. No, he get, he gets just eviscerated in their first meeting. Like you, I think it's like the end of the first book, and he is basically lying on a table, having gotten back to the U.S. after this fight, and, and like his his suit is just wrecked. It is just absolutely wrecked. He got. Mm-hmm. He got just obliterated and you know it and, and even like his his second encounter like he goes yeah i like you i'm not sure i understand the whole i'm gonna go in as tony stark the second time and he like brings the suit in as a briefcase mm-hmm. he, he somehow met you know it, there's been apparently time periods where he 
was able to put it in a briefcase. And then there were times where he wasn't able to put it in a briefcase. Apparently this was one of the times he couldn't put it back in a briefcase. So you have the Mandarin trying to open the, you know, he's got his people trying to open the case while having Tony Stark in, in this like prison cell. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about executing him and all this sort of thing. And he's got, I, he, he actually like gets, beat up even a little bit after after he's able to get you know escape from being you know killed gets the suit and then and then that sort of thing and and it's it's interesting because like even the that final battle like he he's not really winning that battle either it's just he decides that like i can't let him destroy beijing and and ends up leaving the fight to go and save beijing from this satellite getting, you know, being used as a weapon. Uh, And, and, and it's just, it's really interesting because like, it feels like all the books that we've read, Iron Man just sort of, you know, he might get beat up a little bit, but like, if he does, he'll just, you know, re redo the armor a little bit or something. And then he'll go back and he'll just kick butt. And that's sort of it. But but I think it goes to that that point of the potential of this villain and and how powerful this villain is, how smart this guy is. That that at no point in this book in this series does he seem like he's going to be able to beat the Mandarin. No, he really doesn't. He he, uh, he is he is regularly beaten up. So it's it's kind of interesting that everything seems to be that sort of draw or one of them ends up kind of going away. We don't really get a a satisfying ending, you know, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And that's the Mandarin he's he's not the kind of guy who just goes to jail. So, you know, and and he's not going to kill him. So they got to find some way to sort of separate them and let them move on to their other ways. And in this case, he just sort of disappears and goes off to start plotting somewhere else. Yeah. So the other thing, the artwork itself. This is, I also wanted to see what you would think of this. Because the artwork on this, very different from what you'd normally see. And I see some of your notes here. Tell me a little bit of what you thought about the artwork. The artwork, by the way, just to remind folks, by a guy named Eric Canete. Uh, He's not done a ton of comic books. Uh, but he's done a lot of graphic art stuff. Um, really interesting, different style. Yeah, the I I actually really liked the art in this, but it took me a couple pages to really get into it because it has this really different looking art style to it, and and like I was trying to figure out what it looked like to me and like i was struggling because i was like this looks like some animated shows that i've looked at and i i was thinking of like the fairly odd parents or something else on nickelodeon animated from back in like the 90s or 2000s you mentioned samurai jack that that that's maybe another one but it it's it 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 looks so different than anything I feel like we've read before, but it was it was it was actually quite amazing to look at. And it wasn't just like the internal pages, the cover art across these six books 
were were amazing as well. And I the thing I I I I about the covers is the artwork to me felt big. Like these should be posters or something rather than just comic book covers. There was just so much to them. What tell me to like do you know what this kind of art style is or have you seen this before or you know, I, I'm I'm having trouble like describing it. What what did what did it, like? There was a lot of like squarish sort of angular faces in that. So I I I would describe it, I guess, a little bit as almost an Art Deco type style in some ways. There is a little bit of that to it. It's very angular. There's a lot of abstraction. There's a lot of of really strong outer line work, like like thick ink work and stuff, but it also doesn't have a ton of shadow. Uh, for no. the most part, everything is still pretty brightly lit, and so it's not like you've got, you know, really sort of dark, moody sort of thing. Uh, the other thing that does help with the fact that the art looks good is it is colored by a guy named Dave Stewart, who, if you've heard of the Eisners, they're the awards that are given for, like, the top... Uh, that's sort of the, the most popular artists and writers and everything in the field. Right. And Dave Stewart has won the, the Eisner Award for Best Colorist ten times. Wow. So, oh, jeez. He, so he's good at his job, is, is what he, you're saying. If, if your art can look better because of a colorist, he's probably going to make it look better. And right. in this case, he's done a beautiful job of really just sort of accenting what Canete or or however his name is pronounced, is doing. I think the, the best way for me to describe it is that it's like a bright version, a, a, a daylight version of Mike Mignola, or Mignola, uh, who's the guy who does Hellboy and a lot of these other things. Mignola usually uses a ton of shadows and blacks and, and stuff like this in, in all of his work. And this is almost like that, just with the light turned up. It also, for those of you who are old school, reminds me of a guy named Ken Stacy, who did a bunch of stuff back in like the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, that I really liked. But it is not an art style that, that there's a ton of people out there doing stuff in this style. He is, he's got a little bit of a guy named Duncan Rolu, who, somebody I really liked, he did a bunch of Metal Man stuff and, and things like that. And Rolu, actually, interestingly, is one of the ones who works in the same studio as Joe Casey, uh, who is the writer of these shows. Um, Joe Casey, by the way, if you've ever heard of the Ben 10 cartoon show that was on, like, Cartoon Network back in the day, he was actually a co-creator on that. So he's actually got okay. a cartoon show to his, uh, to his name as well. But, yeah, really, really interesting art. I was going... To just be intrigued to see whether you were like, this is just too weird, I hate it, or if you were going to enjoy it. Well, see, here, here's the thing. So I would tell, and and we're actually, we're going to get to talk about the artwork in the last set of books, too, because I, I liked the artwork there. I would say that if you talked to me before this week and said, Dwayne, what is the style of art that you like the best in comics? I probably would say something that looks very photorealistic, right? This is some of the things that I've gravitated towards 
I feel like have had more of that photorealistic sort of look. This is not photorealistic in the slightest. It is, but it, 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 but there is just something about it that just really resonated with me. And I don't know if it's, I I definitely think the color helps this and, and uh yeah but i think the artwork by itself just looks amazing and just that kind of combination of the art plus the color i i i i would recommend you taking a look at this if for nothing else just take a look at the books or at least the first book just to get an idea of what this looks like and see if it's something that that you would gravitate towards because i don't think you're going to see it very often and, and and it really, I think, is a treat to look at. One percent agree. Absolutely, it was it was it was a treat to to read. There was something just almost it's it's just cool. It's cool. Art. Yeah, yeah. Just, it flows, and it's got. It's almost like it's if jazz was a comic book art style. <laughs> there, you there you go. There you go. I, I anyway, like I like that, and the, and the fact that the story is good too, and has time to breathe across the six six issues. I, I I definitely would recommend you taking a look at this if if you're at all interested in the Mandarin or just Iron Man in general. Yep. There you go. All right, so two stories down. That that is all the books that we had covering the Mandarin, but we have one more one more. Uh, part of the stack this is the invincible iron man uh numbers one through six from 2007 and this has has the extremist serum in it yeah so this is this is a newer one and this is one that definitely changed some things and set the tone for a bunch of stories for a while but it's written by warren ellis drawn by addy granov uh with randy gentile on letters Granov did all of the coloring as well because this is actually more almost like painted art. Yeah. So, no, so there isn't a separate colorist on it. It's all it's all him. But in these, Tony Stark actually gets a call to help an old friend named Maya, or Maya who developed a bioenhancement called Extremis. The technology has been stolen from her company. Someone there has been murdered, and she wants help getting it back and sort of trying to find out. Uh, what happened. Eventually, Stark finds out that it was actually a super soldier serum she was developing, and that this rewrites the body in disturbing and powerful ways. Iron Man then ends up taking on a domestic terrorist named Malin, who has taken and survived the extremist serum, and was badly and, and Stark, Iron Man, is badly injured in his first confrontation with him. Stark is flown back to Maya's laboratory, where he convinces her that the only thing that can save him at this point is to get a modified version of the extremist serum thrown into his own body instead. So, while she's getting ready to help him sort of tweak the serum, and he takes that, we see Malin again on his way to Washington, D.C. He actually visits with this girl who's kind of a goth girl who's running away from home, ends up killing her after a political argument in really disturbing scenes. So we yeah. yet again see this is just not a good guy. Um, and 
Stark, after he gets the the extremist serum and and you know actually heads to Washington TDC to intercept him. Uh, before getting through the extremists, he actually goes through some flashbacks back to his first armor build. And when he comes out of it, we see he's got almost like a a base coat of armor under his skin now that he can activate, and then his other armor then attaches to it. So in many ways, he's now become Iron Man, even without the suit on. Right. And among other things, this now lets him do things like talk to his satellites and stuff like that. <laughs> so he gets additional yeah. information. Iron Man, in, in, in other words, is much improved. He finds this guy. He defeats him. He actually kills him. Uh, Malin doesn't give him much other choice. And then goes back and finds Maya and arrests her for her part in releasing the extremist serum in the first place, because he deduces while they're fixing him that the only way this guy could have gotten the serum who killed himself and given it to someone else was if she had helped him. Yeah, there there was two keys on the vault where this serum yep. was at, and she had one of them and the other guy that supposedly let the uh let let the serum out. Uh, had the other key, and so obviously she would have had to have, uh, you know, yep. unlocked it as well. So this was this was a a really, I think, a pretty pretty good story as well, and really interesting. And uh, it it starts out very interesting because it's talking about this. You you see basically this mercenary group, and they're giving they're giving the serum to to this Malum guy. And you see, you know, they first think for a moment that nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden he just starts puking this like black substance. And by the end of the issue, he's like deformed and all this sort of thing. And what we come to find out is basically this serum, what it does is it attaches itself into like the nerve center in your brain that helps you heal. And actually kind of rewrites your DNA so that when it goes to like heal you, it actually does heals you to be stronger, to be faster, to be, you know, all really like a super soldier, basically. And it, and, it, and so it was really interesting. And, it, and like Maya Hansen, this the, the one of the, the doctors that created this, like she wasn't even sure. They they weren't quite ready to test it yet. They were like, I'm not even sure that that anyone would survive if they were given this serum. But this this uh, Malum survived, and and suddenly, like, I'm assuming that he kind of had this like um, aggressive tendency to begin with, or like this aggressive agenda, oh, yeah. and 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 that's why they wanted this. So, like, I don't know that it actually made him, you know, do things he wasn't going to do anyway. He just was more powerful and able to do them. It looked like he was someone who was angry at the world and the government because essentially it was almost like he was a child at a wake, at someplace like the Waco compound or something like this, where his parents were killed by federal agents. And right. He, he's kind of had it in for the government and the world ever since, so... By giving this serum to someone who's got that sort of agenda, who's that unbalanced, the idea was he would do terrible things 
Iron Man would have to come in and stop it. And then once it was determined and they'd seen the power that the serum had, she would get her funding back. Right. Yeah, that's that's right. Because they were basically going to cancel her, cancel her yep. project. Her funding, her funding had been canceled. So essentially, she almost essentially said that that Malum was supposed to be her Hiroshima, like the yeah. thing that you know the the proof of concept of how strong what she was doing was or how important that then would give her additional funding. Sure. Which is pretty bad when you think about it there's a reason she's being led away by by the authorities at the end so yeah so the other thing that was interesting to me about this is when we see tony stark at the beginning of these books he's not in a very good place i don't i don't know what had happened to iron man prior to this particular series but he was like spending weeks in his garage he was neglecting his company he wasn't really able to interact with anyone. He actually, the entire second book is him kind of being interviewed by this documentarian uh, that was re like really interesting, actually. Kind of the back and forth between those two and the kind of the questioning mm -hmm. that was being asked. Because the the documentary, uh, what the documentary, I can't think, I can't say the word. Documentary. Documentarian? was 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 about like weapons manufacturing and like you know all this sort of thing and he was asking him real pointed questions about like tony can you make anything that isn't a weapon and and he's like oh i created the iron man suit and he's like but the iron man suit's a weapon <laughs> and you could you could do some pretty bad things with with the iron man suit and so they're going back and forth and that was that mm -hmm. to me was just really really interesting is how like he was really like secluded and isolating himself and and like it's weird that like he was willing to to do this interview and then it like the the guy after the interview is like you've seen my work right you you know that i wasn't going to like throw softballs for you mm -hmm. yeah I, I loved i think actually that that initial interview was my favorite part of the whole series. I thought it was really interesting because, and the, because Stark did know exactly what he was going to say and he wanted to talk to him and he wanted to talk to him for two reasons. First off, it was that he, he actually did respect his work. Like, you know, right. I like the stuff you've done. And, and I think he wanted to be able to, in that way, defend himself in some ways. But it's interesting because what he keeps trying to say is, you know, all of these developments, we make weapons or we get funding to make weapons and then we make discoveries which go on to be useful in other ways. It's the traditional NASA sort of thing where, you know, a lot of a lot of things are are created for the military industrial complex, but then you get Velcro out of it or something like right. that. Right. Right? Yeah. But also that you know, he's he's Besides the fact that sometimes he'd discover that, he's like, well, there's other things we do at our company that are funded by some of that. But at the end, he also is is sort of kind of directly asking the other guy, you know, how about you? You've been working your whole life making these document those documentaries. You know, have you really had an impact? And I think it comes down to, cause, and the guy's like, I don't know. 
and Tony Stark's like, a lot of people who are interested in the things you're talking about know you really well, but the general public, are they getting your ideas? And this is something that as a historian I worry about a lot of times, is because seems sure. historians write everything for the the ivory tower, and it doesn't necessarily get to the people to actually understand and and learn from the work they're doing. But what Stark really implies at the end is, I'm making mistakes. Maybe what I'm doing isn't being done exactly the best way I could do it, but I keep trying and I'm doing things and I'm making a difference. Now, whether that difference is always good, right? he probably wouldn't be able to necessarily argue, but he's making a difference. And I, I, I thought it was a fantastic just sort of character moment. Yeah, there, there, it was felt very character driven and really was was a really interesting book to read so yeah definitely look at that second issue um i want to talk about stark taking the serum and that to me feels like it it ends up being this kind of huge thing going forward because he he fights malum and gets just 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 beaten badly and to like almost he almost dies and like he's saying that i can't i can't do the things in the in the suit fast enough or react fast enough to 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 basically match this guy and the only way i'm going to be able to do that is if i have my suit if i can become one with the suit basically and he and he uses mm-hmm. the serum to become one with the suit in in so far as like she agrees to do this there's only like two doses and the what malin got the one dose and now tony stark is getting the other dose she's got nothing left and she's ready to give it to him and he he like actually alters the alters the formula slightly before she administers the dose without her even knowing is it, it was the way it read to me at least and mm-hmm. and so that's how he like ends up with this like second layer of skin that is this like undercoat to his uh, undercoat to his armor now which is is really weird and like you said he can talk to his satellites just by thinking and all this sort of thing this feels like this is going to be like a huge step forward for iron man in future books for a while and then all sorts of things happen. He 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 loses it, and then things come back, and then there's another big story arc where Maya's killed, and there's all sorts of other weird extremist things happening. And okay, it, it gets kind of crazy. There's there's even a part where somehow or another, um, like Stark ends up erasing his own memory, and then we find out somehow that I don't know the. It was like the scrolls were involved or something. But he, <laughs> sure, he okay. lost. He lost extremists due to some weird thing. So it it okay. doesn't hang around forever. It okay, doesn't hang around forever. Um, yeah, I got to go back and that was weird. But in any case, it was pretty cool. Um, you know the the art on this too. Um, when you're looking at it, the way the suit is is put together and the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. he kind of comes on with the serum. 
Yeah. Granov actually worked on the Iron Man movies, and they loved his design of the armor, both this one and some others. So that's another thing that's interesting is the armor here looks an awful lot like the Iron Man armor in the in the movies because the guy who drew slash painted these comic books was actually one of the guys they really leaned on to help design the armor for the movie. So well, so so that explains kind of the point that I was about to make with the artwork, which is I, I loved the artwork here because it felt very lifelike, very near photorealistic. Yep. And to 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 your point, I think the the pictures that we see of the Iron Man suit in this series are some of the best looking pictures of the Iron Man suit that in any Iron Man books that I've looked at. Yes. And and Granov continues. He did a bunch of covers and stuff like that. He's a he is a spectacular. He's an, an Iron Man master, essentially. But it does go back though to that question of, and it sounded like you kind of answered this when we were talking about the last ones. This is spectacular photorealistic art. Yes. And and it obviously is good. I mean it tells the story well and everything. But which art did you prefer today? Did you prefer Granov? Or did you kinda kinda like that slightly more Art Deco style of Canete? Or are you just gonna throw a wrench in it and tell me that Don Heck ruled the day? Uh, the other guy. No, I'm not I'm not stuff. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. So I would tell you that in most instances I would have liked the Invincible Iron Man, the the near photorealistic, more um, until you match it up with something completely different that I've never seen before. So I actually think I liked the Enter the Sand or Enter the Sand Enter the Mandarin uh, <laughs> books that artwork there a little bit better, and and it it's. It would have been crazy for me to consider that there would be a, a a set of books that looked as lifelike as the Invincible Iron Man books did, and for me to say that I liked something better. Yep. No, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. I enjoy Granov's art. I think it's really well done. And it's not just because it's photorealistically painted. He does actually do a spectacular job of telling the story too. He really is yeah. a good storyteller. There, there's a lot of detail and and something about these books too. It is the word count in these books is very minimal. There is a lot of panels in these books where there is no text at all. It is just the picture telling a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I, I do think that there is something about the more realistic art styles that they don't actually flow as well. There is energy lost when you have something that is more realistic. And there was the kinetic force of the artwork in the Enter the Mandarin books is just something that is is pretty spectacular to to behold. Yeah. So I I also 
I've always been a fan of Grant. I'll never take anything away from those books. But the Eric Canete, I think, I think I preferred them as well. Yeah, they were really they were really fun. So both both excellent though. And let's not take anything away from Don Heck. For back in the day, the the art in that first book was was pretty decent as well. But you can obviously see that standards have changed and uh, styles have changed over the last 40 years. Yeah. So, very cool. So, other than that, though, I mean, the the whole idea of Extremis as this, this super, you know, super soldier serum, I think that's another takeaway as we go into the movies, is it seems like in the MCU, and they even they were even joking about it, I think, on, on like, She-Hulk, Everybody is getting a super serum, super serum here and there, and that's somehow <laughs> how everybody gets their powers, right? And the the Ultimates kind of riffed on that, the comic series that we were uh, that we read back a while ago too, and it's sort of the same thing here that 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 chasing the next Captain America continues all across the Marvel universe all the time. So, I, so. I, I just one last quick thing. I had the like Freudian slip of talking about Enter the Sandman. We actually do see sure. the Sandman in the in the this week. He was in one of the books. Do you remember that? Yeah, they he was one of the one of the like uh people that the Mandarin employed uh to to like go and steal intel from Tony Stark. And so you actually had oh, right. the scarecrow, scarecrow, excuse me, not the sandman, the scarecrow yes. showed up and and actually is uh stole some intel from 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 uh Stark International and and brought back. And that's how he ends up, I think, stealing the or stealing control of the satellite was with some of the information yep. that 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 he got during that that break-in. And so there was a there was a fight. So I yeah, I had one name on my mind and and like this yeah, so there you go. <laughs> a window into the mind of Dwayne Eckholm. There you so, go. There you go. All right. So very cool. Yeah, it was it was actually a pretty interesting series of books, I think, this week. I, I enjoyed them. What did you think overall? Did this seem like uh Worth your time this week? I I really enjoyed I, I really enjoyed all of them. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, the older book didn't didn't resonate with me nearly as much as the newer stories, but that tends to be something that, that I've seen uh as we've gone through a lot of these. But like I said, I, I could see the potential of the character even from that very first appearance and and seeing it kind of uh a new story being told with it. Uh, you know, 40 years later, you, you could, you could see there was, they had figured out a little bit more of how to, how to utilize that character in a very interesting way. And, and so you had a really good story. The fact that you had some really cool artwork to go with it, I think, yeah, I, I think in a lot of cases, some of these books, like, we that we read every week you 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 or every other week i guess you 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 give me some some books to read i read them and we talk about them 
I don't know necessarily that I will go back and read them all again, but I could definitely see myself reading Enter the Sandman again or Enter the Mandarin again. Good God. Gonna get that right. Enter the Mandarin. <laughs> I'm gonna name the show Enter the Mandarin just so I get it right. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna have to go get some Metallica for the intro. There you go. There you go. This week, I think. So there you go. Good lord. All right. Anyway, um that was that was fun stuff. So outside of that, um, I guess what we just get to do is start looking ahead. Next week is Iron Man 3. I'm sure you're going to find all sorts of cool film facts for me. Yes. Go back and watch that one. Um, that has been a much maligned Iron Man movie, at least when it first came out. It was not celebrated as one of the best. I actually always enjoyed it, other than the Mandarin parts drove me kind of crazy. So I'm interested to see, though. I haven't, I haven't watched it that often. It's one of the MCU ones I've watched fewest times. So, how about you? You've seen this one a few times? Uh, I think I've probably seen it like twice. I think I I saw it once in the theater, and then I think I've seen it once since then. Um, Just just because I I had a copy of it and and wanted to watch it. Um, But yeah, it's been several years since I've seen it, so I don't really remember how it goes. Um, So I don't really remember how the Mandarin is treated in this. So I'm very curious to see how, how that looks. Oh my. Yeah. Let different. Let's put it that way. Yes. And you know what? That's probably best. Cause I will note that even in the books, even in the end of the Mandarins, which were, you know, from early two thousands or whatever, it's still probably not a portrayal that would be acceptable in modern, in modern movies. Because right. he's still very much orientalized, and there's still a lot of that going on. So they they had to make some changes. I'm not sure that the way they made the changes was exactly the best <laughs> in this. They didn't exactly they nail made, it. Nope. But they made up for it in Shang-Chi. Yeah. And so I actually love the Marvel Universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe Mandarin. It just took them a while to get there. Yeah. So, anyway. Um... I guess that's probably about all we've got for this week. So well, want to head us into the sign-off, sir? Sure. That is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you're new to the podcast or you've joined us from the beginning, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can send it to us via email. We are at comments at comicsovertime.com or you can message us via Twitter. We are at comicsovertime there. We are also now on Hive Social. So you, if you're on Hive Social and you'd like to uh, follow us and interact with us there, you can do that. You can look for us at Comics Overtime there as well. So Dan, yeah, we got to take a look at the last Iron Man movie. We get to take a look at the last Iron Man movie, and I'm very excited to see what I think about the film now actually having some background on the Mandarin and the extremist uh, serum. Yep, I'm just kind of looking forward to getting a chance to check it out again, too. We'll, uh, we'll come back next week, visit about it, and see you all then, folks. Take care, everybody. Yeah.